we need to be thoughtful. We need to say to ourselves, what's the persuasive feature? What's the persuasive moment that's available to me? Right. That will drive people to the thing that will best represent their value proposition, give them the best possible outcome from my product or service. So uh, I, I, gave, I gave a quick uh, introduction this morning. I, uh, I think it, some of it bears, uh, bears repeating, but I know um, for, for me, um, how many of you guys went to college? Yeah, I guess most of us. Um, I read a lot, studied in junk, made, made good grades, but um, pretty, you know, except for ancient Greek. But there was, every time I was reading, you know, books, I was reading them because I had to. Um, and, and truly, that was, that, that's kind of like every aspect of school up until that point. If I read a book, I read it because I had to. Somebody said, read this book, read it well, you will be tested. And, and so I remember walking into a communications class, same deal, went and bought a bunch of books, and um, thought it was the same thing. And then we finally got to this one particular book in the class, and I read it because I was told that in this particular unit you had to read chapters one and two or whatever, so I read chapters one and two, and then I kept reading chapter three and chapter four. And in basically one day I read this, binge read this entire book. I'd never done that before in my life, right? And, and I said, this actually is helpful. This actually makes sense. This is actually useful. It was the first time, truly, and I think this is sad to say, that in my educational you know, experience that I, that I found something that was truly applicable you know, to where I was in my life. And, and it was around that time that I was actually beginning to like, launch little websites on the internet. You know, this was 1999, 2000, right? So I was like, this all makes sense. This can help me in so many ways. And that book was Influence, right? How many of you guys felt the same way when you read, you read this book by this, you know, some professor out of Arizona? You're like, wow, this is amazing, right? Uh, I mean, truly, it, 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 I don't know if there's another book out there that more marketers could point to and say that that, that book influenced me than, than, this, than this particular book. And it's a book that I went back and I, I read again and again and again. And then in this last year, Persuasion came out. I'm like, all right, but how do you wind up topping, you know, topping that? And I, you know, I went ahead and bought it. Because if I'm not totally sure about a book, I'll buy a book, I'll buy the audio version of the book. And if it sounds good, then I'll go buy like the real, you know, the physical version so I can write and take notes and dog ear pages. So we're going, driving out a family trip to the Grand Canyon, listening to Persuasion. And I'm, and I'm telling my wife, I was like, okay, pause. And I'm making her take notes as we're driving to the Grand Canyon, really beginning to bugger. And she's like, this is actually really, really good. This is way better than most of the crap that you make me listen to on our family trips. <laughs> like, I know. I know, it's really, really, really great. Uh, went back, you know, read it again, and, and immediately began applying a lot of things. I'm actually, when, when we're done with the discussion, I'll send out um, some of the notes that I took from it and how it's impacted it. But uh, to, to have um, Robert Cialdini here in the flesh uh, after, you know, so many years of, of admiring his work um, is, is truly, uh, truly an honor and truly a special moment. I know we're going to get all, we're all going to get a lot out of this time, but if you would please right now just join me, big, big, big round of applause for Dr. Robert Cialdini. There you go. No, you're in the, we'll put him in the hot seat. Here you go. You're in the hot seat in the middle. Okay. Not many people get to snuggle up between Perry and I. <laughs> Mostly because they don't want to. <laughs> and so uh, here we go.
happy to be here. I've got one. Oh, you do? Okay, yeah. great. I bring my own. Nice. Thank you. So I know I, we're going to have the opportunity to, to talk and have, you know, have, have some conversation about some things, but I know that you also uh, have some examples and yeah. those types of things prepared, I guess. Yeah. Would you like to uh, start with that and have that kind of kick off? Yeah, discussion. Maybe just talk about the idea of persuasion first of all, and how it's different from the material in influence. Influence, uh, which is about. Whoop! I'm gonna uh, go back here. Um, oh, you hit, if you hit the black one, it makes it go dark. Yeah, you're in trouble now. Okay, so hey, okay. there we go. Um, you know, influence is about what you put into your message. What what do you load into your content that uh, leads people toward assent. Right? Uh, persuasion is about what you put in the moment before you send your message that makes them receptive to the element of your content that you think is going to move them in this direction. So uh, in, in influence, there are various principles, uh, uh, social proof, authority, scarcity. Uh, let me give you an idea of what persuading them to be focused on one or another of those principles can do. There was an A-B test that was done by uh, Royal Caribbean uh, cruises right, during the 2016 holiday season. Everyone who, every one of their former passengers who uh, received one or another of those email, we're told about a time-limited offer. Scarcity, you could only get it for a certain time. Scarcity was the unique uh, feature of that message that they wanted to uh, leverage for success. And let me show you what the two um, programs, or the two uh, messages looked like. One of them, had a pair of ticking clock emojis in the subject line. So before they ever got to the content, before they ever were introduced to the idea of scarcity, there was a message, there was an image there that focused them on the idea of scarcity before they got there. Right? This message, the one with the emojis, produced a several hundred percent increase in profit. How could that be? How could that be? What was it about those emojis? Right? Here's what it was. Something about the human condition. Right? When we are focused on a particular idea, a particular concept or a particular factor, we automatically give more weight to any information that is related to that idea subsequently. We prioritize any related information over all the rest of the information that we then receive, as long as we still have that idea, that focal idea in consciousness. And when we see ourselves prioritizing information, we assume 
that it must be important. And when we assume that it must be important, this idea, right, we search for it. And when we search for it, right, because it's important, and we encounter information that is congruent with it, now we want to choose anything that provides that factor, that provides that concept to us in our decision-making process. Here's a study that makes the, the case. Online furniture store. They sent randomly half of their visitors to a landing page with fluffy clouds in the wallpaper, the background wallpaper. The other, they sent the other half to a landing page that had small coins, pennies, in the background. Right, let me show you. Here's the clouds. Beautiful. Right? It's, it's awful. <laughs> Clearly awful, right? Great. But nonetheless, it doesn't matter. Clouds. The other half got pennies, all right? Now, those individuals who encountered clouds in the background wallpaper of their website, landing page, assigned more importance to comfort in the sofas that they were about to buy. They then searched the website for comfort-related features of the sofas and ultimately chose to purchase more comfortable furniture. Those who saw the pennies assign more importance to price, searched the website for cost information, and chose to purchase less expensive furniture. Whatever was brought to consciousness first, to, to their attention, where they had a focused attention on this, became more important, became necessary to pursue, and became the standard for deciding what to do next. Now, here was the interesting thing about this, because it involves not just the, 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 the effectiveness of this, it involves the ethics of it. When these individuals were asked, by the way, did that wallpaper make any difference in your choices, the clouds, the coins, they laughed. <laughs> they said, of course not. Of course not. I'm a freestanding entity. I decide what to choose based on who I am, what my preferences are. What they didn't recognize is who they were as a purchaser, a cost-oriented buyer, a comfort-oriented was altered by what they saw first. So this means that if we use persuasion, not only will it fly under the radar, because it flies under the radar, we have a special ethical burden to be sure that what we present to people first, which makes them focus differently on aspects of the next information they receive, is related 
to that factor of our information, we want people to pay more attention to than any other factor in our message. What's our key differentiator? What's our central element of our product or service or message that makes it wise for those people to choose us? I've, I have bad news. Yeah. They're all gypsies, tramps, and thieves. <laughs> Scoundrels, the whole lot of them. So. This one's Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that one right there in particular. Yeah, no. She's the president. Yeah. I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, it's, it's not a necessary trade-off. If you decide first what is the most favorable feature of what you have to offer that makes it wise for people to choose, and then you reverse engineer the process. So the thing that people see first or before they receive your message entrains them to that feature. Who loses? Who loses? People are being steered to the one thing that makes it wisest for them to choose. That's the one you want them to be paying attention to for long-term customer relationships. Can we linger here for just a little bit? Because I think this is really, really important. You know, we talk a lot about the idea of before and after, right? And, and specifically, so we look at, at what's somebody's emotional state before and what's, what's their emotional state after. Um, Thinking and making sure that the choices that you make, because so often the, the choices that are made of, of imagery on a, on a landing page or um, maybe background music in, a, in a sales video, they're afterthoughts made by designers and graphic artists. And, and what we don't realize is though they can often be incongruent to, that, to that, that, emotion, that emotional stimulus that we actually need them to have if they're going to be in that buying state. Right. Uh, right. And so being very c deliberate about that is what you're saying. We need to be thoughtful about that as an aspect of the process. Precisely right. We need to be thoughtful. We need to say to ourselves, what's the persuasive feature? What's the persuasive moment that's available to me? Right. That will drive people to the thing that will best represent their value proposition, give them the best possible outcome from my product or service. Um, there, here's what I would claim. I'm going to use a metaphor here. There's a piece of persuasive real estate that has gone almost entirely untended by communicators. It's the moment before you deliver your communication. So what do you build on that piece of real estate. You build a launching pad for your message. Those ticking clock emojis elevated the impact of scarcity. We know that scarcity works, right? So thinking tactically then, it's the, it's the image that goes in the subject line. Right? Maybe it's an image that goes at the top of an email, that you're, of a promotional email. It's the image that you're selecting uh, in your Facebook ad 
right? Being thoughtful of that, because oftentimes, uh, yeah, uh, the opener. oftentimes we'll just put uh, a Facebook image that we know is going to be evocative and get the view, but if it doesn't put, how many of you guys have seen the, the ad that we would run, like when we're about to run a Tickets to Traffic Conversion Summit, and it's a battery that's almost down to nothing, right? The idea for that came from reading Persuasion. What is the emotional state that we want them to be in? Well, we want them to have a sense of urgency, right? right? We want them to have a sense of urgency of things going on. Now, what is a, what is a phone about to run out of battery have to do with the fact that tickets are almost sold out? Nothing, but the emotional state is the same. And when you see that image, it's a trigger of, oh, something is about to happen. I need to, I need to take action quickly. I need to plug in my phone. It's the same emotional state. Right. And so it works. It doesn't necessarily have to be tied uh, to the action itself. It just has to be tied to the emotional state. Correct. Just so, like pennies have nothing to do with mattresses. So, so in order to change minds, you first have to change states of mind. You, stay, you change frames of mind that people are in so that they will be receptive to the factor that will get them to change their mind. Can you tell the, the, palm, the story of palm reading? And yeah. how that... Uh... Yeah, so uh, when I was in college, I learned palm, palmistry from uh, a friend of mine, uh, which I used as an icebreaker at parties. You know, it was, uh, it was a way to... When I, I always felt uncomfortable in a party, I didn't know a lot of people, and I would... You know, I would have this little trick. I would read people's palms. And uh, I, I eventually stopped because as soon as I would do a reading, a line of expectant candidates would form, uh, blocking my access uh, for the rest of the evening from any meaningful conversation <laughs> or the buffet table. Right? <laughs> But while I was doing it, this odd thing occurred. People almost invariably said, that's right. How could you know that about me? You don't know me. What you just told me is exactly right. right? And I would have a kind of knowing smile because I was mystified as well. I didn't know how to explain it. Well, here's how to explain it. If I bent back your thumb and I said, ah, I can tell from the curvature and resistance of your thumb that, that you are a stubborn person. Somebody tries to push you in a particular direction. Not only won't you go there, you'll go the other way. Right? Here's what that would cause you to do it would cause you to go on a biased memory search to find instances where you were stubborn and you would hit some. But if instead I said, aha, I can see that you're an open and flexible person. And when somebody gives you information you didn't have before, you're willing to change your mind and move in the direction of this new information. I will have sent you now on an equally biased but different memory search for instances in which you were flexible. And in both instances, 
you will look up at me from that palm and say, you're right about who I really am. So, by putting you in mind of your stubborn side or your flexible side and having that as the thing that you now search for. Remember in the, in the, the, the online furniture store? People now searched for comfort or they searched for cause. Right? Right? I will be able to be correct about you and get you to behave in ways, well, I haven't convinced you that I'd be able to con uh, get you to behave in ways, but let me give you this example. Researchers walk up to people on the street, market research. They say, can you be in this market, marketing study? We, uh, you know, uh, we can't give you any money for it, but you'll get some good information about yourself. Well, only 29% of the people are willing to participate in this survey for no compensation under those circumstances. Right? Um, okay. And they're told, this survey that we're going to give you um, is for a new soft drink, something completely unknown. You've never seen it before. No one has seen it before. But if you would like to get access to this, we'll send you information about how to get a, supply, a free supply of this brand new soft drink. Give, this, give us your uh, email address. Give us your email address. For this new thing, 29% of the people say yes. If that same encounter occurs and the marketing researcher begins by saying, excuse me, do you consider yourself an adventurous person? Now 77% give their email address. Because of the palm reading. Where they've been put in mind of their adventurous side. Yeah, the same thing, right? Same you, thing. Yeah. Didn't even have to touch their thumb. And you know what? It works under the surface. Let me tell you something that just happened to me, not, not just, maybe three months ago. I, we, we have a business suite. And uh, we have a business partner, and we, and this business partner um, made a big mistake for us, screwed up in a significant way, and this guy called me on the phone to tell me about it. He said, Bob, before we begin, let me tell you something. I hate when this sort of thing happens to nice guys. <laughs> and then he told me about the screw-up. Had you written the book yet? I, I had written the book. <laughs> you know it's good when it works. And you, even, uh, yeah. It works on you. And, I, and here's what I heard myself say. Ah, no big deal. <laughs> happens to everybody. It's happened to me. Instead of saying, okay, now what's the compensation? Instead of being a hard ass, I was now a good guy. Yep. He put me in the good guy state of mind, and it worked on me. And I just wrote that book <laughs> on this. It still worked on me. Did you tell him about the book? <laughs> he read it. <laughs> he probably read it. That's right, by then, yeah. So this is going to work 
And it's going to work beneath the surface, and it's going to work very powerfully, uh, even on people who are uh, otherwise knowledgeable about the influence process. So before we move on to the, on to the next example, take, take a minute to write, write this down. What is, the, what is the emotional state that I need my audience to be in to be most receptive to, to the, you know, to, to be most likely to buy, right? Is it excited? Is it frustrated? Is it sad? Is it, you know, do they need to feel this sense of like warmth and abundance, right? We all have that capacity inside us to feel all of those emotions, but what is it where if they're in this state, they're gonna be most likely to take the desired action? And now what imagery, all right? What, what sounds do we need to put in place that might, might evoke that? What words Music. Could we use that, could avoid, that could evoke that? Similarly, what questions hmm. could we ask as an opening sentence, in a headline, uh, in a subject line, what questions could we ask that when answered will cause our audience to adopt the desired identity right. that we need them to adopt to most likely move forward? Write those down, ask yourself those questions, and go back and look at what's the most recent email you sent. What's the image in your Facebook ad? What emoji are you using in your subject line? And make sure that apart from them you know, trying to optimize it, do you have something that's incongruent? We ran, a, we had a new um, offer that we ran uh, lately that was all, it was in the survival and preparedness space, right? How to get prepared for a dis disaster. And I, I'm not kidding, the background music was like doop, 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 doop. I mean, it's like this happy go lucky. And I was, I was like, Some, something about this isn't right. Perry, I sent to Perry, he's like, dude, that music, man. I'm like happy, I'm ready to like, you know, dance around and you're convincing me that I need to get prepared We're for certain doom. Yeah. So ensuring that apart from using this as, as, a, as a mechanism for optimizing, making sure that you're not like casually shooting yourself in the foot. I think you can be, be more deliberate than that because I think I want to get this right because I, um, but what immediately springs to mind is the congruency of what the persuasion tactic is and what the influence tactic is of the seven right right that there's congruency between the two if you're gonna if you're gonna put the ticking clocks on the message but you have a reciprocity message that right. you're delivering that's not gonna work right so you got to be really yeah the handshake the handshake emoji would much would work or a gift emoji a birthday cake emoji or something might be more right. effective if you've got a reciprocity if if what you've fit. got is scientific evidence right then you put a, a beaker, Harry Potter or, or, or you put, or you put <laughs> Albert Einstein, or you put something associated with authority and evidence and like science, like Harry Potter. Uh, <laughs> and then Harry doesn't do science. <laughs> that's where they go. They go there, and that's your strength. <laughs> you know, I, uh, and and you know, Ryan is exactly right about the sounds, the music. You know, there's a study that. If a customer goes into a wine shop and they're playing German music, they buy German wine. If it's French music, they're more likely to buy French wine. Whatever puts people in a state of mind or even an emotional state that's relevant to a particular choice is the one that's going to be prioritized for a short period of time. Do you have any idea how long that that uh, 
framing yeah. lasts? It lasts for as long as that idea that you've focused them on is still high in consciousness. The sooner the better. Yeah, the and sooner the, the better. The sooner the better, right? But, and the longer, the, the more, more likely it is that events are going to occur and move their attention to some other concept, and then you're, you're out of luck. As long as you're walking through the long, narrow hallway into a casino and you see winners, 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 right? The longer you're down that hall, right. the better you are, right? And the more they're like you. Right. The $10,000 thing, yeah. Pam? Is it more about the emotion or the identity, and how are those two tied together? Well, the emotion is something that is acute. It's temporary, right? So that one, you're going to want to be really quick. Identity is chronic. That's some, if you raise that to consciousness, that's likely to stay there because it's got a root system all right, that, that, that keeps it high in consciousness. So you're, you're a little safer. But I would say the more you, you use what's available to you, but the more that you can focus people on an identity that they own, then the more congruent any choice is with long-term um, impact of those choices. That they're going to choose things that have legs into the future for them because they're consistent with their uh, view of themselves. Well, especially you have to understand a lot of times the context under which your message may be sent. So if somebody's entering into your store and, and now they're, they've crossed the threshold and they're not going to go anywhere, you might have a little bit more time. If it's the you know sad save the kitten and puppy ad with the Sarah McLaughlin song, right? You better get them to call right then and there because the very next ad could be hey, crazy Eddie's, like, right. you know, get TVs. We're going crazy with these deals. And now you're out of that emotional state, right? Boom, you're, you know, you're, you're done. Whereas if you do, if you can appeal to somebody's identity, uh, you go from sad cat ad to crazy Eddie's all the time and that's still who you are. But let me say that it's not just at the top of the message. There are different stages of your message and you shouldn't be satisfied with the state of mind that you've installed at the top, which may not apply to each subsequent step. I was just in a mini mind, uh, uh, mind what, mini what mastermind. Mini yeah. mastermind. Yeah, teach Perry. persuasion in front of him, staring at you like this. <laughs> Great, <laughs> lucky me. And here's what Perry said: You work, you work really hard on the. Uh, Headline, the heading. And then you have subheadings. And he said, I think really hard about each subheading that begins each new set of information. That's brilliant. Because you may not want people in the same mindset at stage two that you want them in in stage three. That means you change what you focus them on at the top of the content before they get into the content every time. That's how you optimize this. It's not just the very first thing. It's every time you change the message or some goal you have within the message, you do that again. And then, of course, 
the most important message you want them to retain and have it at the ready occurs before the call to action, immediately before the call to action. That's where they're going to be most likely to move in the wisest direction for them, the one that you figured out before you ever sent them the message, what would be best for them to overvalue, to, to pay greater attention to than they ordinarily would. I know you got a couple more examples for us. I think there was a question here, that, or has that already been, been answered? Let me give you one more, because here's one thing that I, and, and we'll go, one last uh, image that I've got here of how this works with indeed imagery. It, we don't have to do it with, with sound, with, with music. You don't have to do it with words. You can do it with imagery, right? And like the clouds and the coins. But here's one that I really like. One of the things that we are challenged with these days is getting people on board with us, both inside our organizational envelope and outside. Outside, we want our customers, our clients, our, our prospects to feel bonded with what we have to offer our organization, our, our products and services. Inside, you want your people who are working with you to be on the same page. You want them uh, to move in sort of a unified way, a sense of partnership with you and their colleagues in achieving this common goal. Right? And there was a study done uh, in Belgium to show how you might do this with a simple image. Right? Researchers had subjects come into an experiment. They sat at a table with a researcher, a young woman, who showed them photographs of household objects like a toaster, a table, a chair, that kind of thing. Right? And for one third of these subjects, there was a figure standing behind the object in each case. In one case, it was a single figure standing alone. For another third of the subjects, it was two individuals standing apart from one another. And for a third sample, it's two individuals, not quite like this, <laughs> but shoulder to shoulder in a partnership, cooperative, hug. Yeah, like <laughs> this. Let me show you. Yeah. And then the researcher Loves it. Uh, got up He's like, I'm never, from the table. I'm never coming back here. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> okay. I'm okay. I'm Italian. I'm okay. <laughs> Touching. Researcher got up from the table and pretended to drop an array of items onto the floor. And the question is, who gets off, off their chair? Spontaneous, they don't have to be requested. Gets down on their hands and knees and becomes cooperative, becomes a partner, a, uh, and a, a, a collaborator with the researcher in getting this stuff off the floor. Right. Let me show you what the answer is here. For people standing alone, who saw, some, who saw the image of, pe of one person standing alone. 20% do it. For those who saw two individuals standing apart, 20% do it. Now, you probably are going to guess what I'm going to show you 
for those people who saw an image of togetherness before they were asked to do something that was a partnership, collaborative, cooperative activity. 60%. You triple it. You triple it. Now, when I saw this study, I was in a position where I was not surprised by this effect because I had seen it over and over and over. Where you focus people first sends them down a channel right, that causes them to be congruent with the idea that you focus them on. In this case, it happens to be cooperativeness, or partnership. Here's what surprised me. It surprised me so much that I, I was reading this study on my computer screen, and I have a chair with wheels on it, and it literally rocked me back in my chair so that I rolled back away from the screen. Here's what it was. The subjects in this experiment, including those people who had done three times as much as their contemporaries, were babies. They were 18-month-old children. That's how primitive this effect is. That's how much of a feature of the human condition this is. It's in us. It's in us. It's, and by primitive, I don't mean that in a negative sense. I mean it in an elemental sense. It's how we operate as, hum as, as members of the species. Okay, when you've got something with that kind of motivating power, right, that's where you go. Uh, the, the more I study the influence process, persuasion, and so on, the more convinced I am that the closer you can get to primitiveness, the more power and the more reliability you will have in the effects that you produce. And this is one of those fundamental uh, principles of action. What you focus on at any given moment makes you prioritize all information that's related to that focal concept while it's still in consciousness. And you can see the kinds of differences you get in getting choice and action, not just in babies deciding who to help pick up objects, but in furniture store <laughs> buyers, in cruise purchasers. So it doesn't go away after 18 months. It's still in us because it's, it's so adaptive to do this. Think about it. If you go into a situation and you pay attention to something, right, it's because it's important. We, don't go, we wouldn't last very long as a species if we went into a situation and started paying attention to things that were not important there. So if you pay attention to something that's important, I want to say two things. First of all, it makes sense that you would 
prioritize attention to things that are related <laughs> to that concept. That's the important one, right? And secondly, it's going to get you to perceive that if you are focused on this thing, it justifies your focus. It, it warrants your focus on that thing because it's the one that you chose to spend time on. Right? That's the logic behind it. Here's how a communicator can change that equation. By directing people's attention to something, they can get them to spend focused attention there for reasons that have nothing to do with its importance, that have something to do with the communication process where you, you deflect their attention to this thing. Can I bring in a tactical application yeah. of that? Um, all right, so the, base, so the premise, just to make sure I understand, is because in our natural state we tend to focus on things that are important because generally we look at stuff that might eat us or maybe we could have sex with it. Right? That's the general rub. Smaller than us, eat it. Yeah. yeah. One, or, or we Same can eat it. Yeah. Life or death. Yeah. You're talking about death talking and about life. Talking life and yeah. death. Talking yeah. about the basic, uh, basic aspects of humanity. So because that's so ingrained in us, now it, the, the reverse of that be, almost becomes causational. Because I'm looking at it, I now, it now becomes important merely because I'm looking at it. Because historically, I looked at things that were important. That's right. So the inverse became, it has now become true. We've confused Causation with yeah, we've con confused in our brain, but, but so just to, so how can we as as marketers leverage that? Anybody in here ever heard of retargeting? Right, when you run retargeting ads all the time and all people are seeing is your brand, your logo, your stuff, you become important not because you are, but because you're there, because you're constantly present and constantly visible. So I mean, if you're wondering what's the ROI of retargeting. What's the ROI of, I mean, that, that's the reason, and I've said this before, people are like, ah, I see your ads all over the place. Right, you know whose ads you aren't seeing if you're seeing mine? My competitors. So I become important, not because I am. You guys know this, you've been around me enough, you know I'm largely worthless. But <laughs> from a retargeting perspective, because you see me again and again and again and again, I'm there on YouTube and it's there like, hey, me again, that guy must be important. Why? Because I visibly see him all the damn time. And it might, and the, the logical part of you will say, this is annoying. I find it irritating that I keep seeing your ads all over the place. The 18 month old viewers being like, that's, that's important. That person is really, really important. And yet you keep showing up for stuff like this. That's a great insight. And it explains something that I heard uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger uh, you know, of, of Berkshire Hathaway explain as to why they invested in Coca-Cola many years ago whose value in their stock portfolio has skyrocketed, I don't know how many hundred percent, right? It's because everywhere you looked, you could find a Coke sign or a Coke, a, a Coke machine. It was always there. It was visibly prominent, which gave it standing as important yeah. and worth paying attention to. Attention direct response, people, if you don't think branding matters, there you go. But I guess I guess that on the inverse of that, I was thinking like, how how could you apply that to like, how could you, where does that naturally occur, right? 
So if you're driving down the road and you, you hear a siren or see police lights, your situational awareness immediately goes up. You slow down your car. You look around you to see where the accident is. You, it, it's more important to you than it was. You were listening to the radio or talking on the cell phone, but instantly it's more important. Right, right. And that's why, by the way, have you ever heard, especially in Europe, there are uh, police sirens that go, wah, wah, wah. You know, you know like why? Like a baby sound? It's the sound of a baby. It's ah. at the sequence of not an ignore, infant. Not ignore. And that's where we, yeah, we, ignore. Have, we have evolved to pay attention to that, right? Makes it worthwhile and, uh, and, and justifies our attention, yeah. Yes. Here, wait. Yeah. We got to throw the uh, throw the magic cube. If for no other reason than because it's fun. Who has it? All right. Oh, up high. No, that was actually a pretty good toss. Um, I can absolutely confirm what you're saying. Like, and I can show you a live example of what we did. If if you have a browser, you could know. throw that to the screen. Is that possible? Or I'm sorry. Do you have a browser and could throw it quickly to the screen? Is that possible? Then I could show you what we've done. Probably not. Can you not. show us like on a Wicked Smart thing? Yeah, like the thing is we compare dating sites and uh, we have built like a table where you can compare them. And um, in the beginning we were just saying like um, the best dating sites, the top three dating sites. And then we switched it um, to a background with a kissing couple. And um, the first thing was do you remember your first kiss? Oh. And after doing that, we put them in a completely different mood before consuming our content. And this increased uh, at, uh, our time on site by like 20% and, uh, and clicks and stuff. So um, yeah, this was a big change for us when, when doing that. And um, yeah. I see that in it's online shops as well, like they sell cold pressed dog food. Cold-pressed dog food? Yes. That, it angers that me that that exists. <laughs> that absolutely exists. I believe I mean, it. Like, like if you, I, I see it in, in many online shops. But what about if you transform that to, do you remember how happy your dog jumped around and played with a ball or whatever? And um, you want to make him happy like this again? And here's the dog food or something like this. So I think this has a big... Um, influence on, on buying stuff, yeah. Yeah, there's only two things that anybody's ever buying, right? Transformation and identity reinforcement. So if we can figure out the identity that they want to reinforce and come up with ways to, to show that to them, uh, and then, uh, or figure out the transformation that they want to become and get them in that state, then you got it. But the point is, it's, it's about being deliberate and intentional. Sorry, you want to throw that? Yeah. Dayton Bill over here's got one. No, can I do it, please? This is the highlight. All right, thank you. All right, Bill, you ready? I feel like I'm really good at this now. You got it. Thank you. you. It. Yeah. Um, this is great stuff. What about <clears throat> in regards to changing someone's state? And when I'm saying someone who's in an elevated state, a customer service call, is there, does it still apply? Are there other things that you can do when someone's already out of state to kind of jujitsu them? It'd be cool to try some on-hold music that reset their mindset. Uh, yeah, some music that would, Zen would music, change. music, like at the spa or something. You know. But the w one way to do it, it seems to me, is to, to get a sense of commonality with 
the agent who they're going to be talking to on the phone so that they, they sense that this is somebody like me who's going to empathize with my situation, not somebody from this other, this unstated other organization. It's, a, it's an individual who is like me. Right? Uh, and that disarms conflict. It's hard to be against yourself. Right? So to the extent to which you can see yourself in other people, there was a study done with negotiators where half of them were asked to negotiate on a very difficult problem, and they got 30% uh, uh, deadlock negotiations. Nobody won. Everybody walked away with nothing. There was another group, before they began the negotiation, they sent information back and forth to one another about their hobbies, their interests, and, and background, and so on. All right? That group, deadlock negotiations went from 30% to 6%. Now, it wasn't just because they got information that humanized the other person. When they looked at their data, it was only when there were commonalities between their interests, hobbies, background, family situation. It wasn't until they saw a connection with themselves. Right? So that representative needs to ask some questions about this individual, right? the situation, where do they live, what, what, how many people in their family, are, all these kinds of things. And where there are commonalities, they get to say honestly, oh, really? Me. Yeah, me too. Or my wife's from there. And it changes the situation from hostile and, and uh, uh, conflict-laden to something else, something unitizing. Yeah. The on-hold time when they're looking, uh, oh, let me, let me go and pull up your records. Hey, while, while this waits to pull up, um, you know, where are you from? I'm picking up an accent. Where are you from? You can use that during a customer thing as though, you know, computers don't move at the speed of light. Now. Was there another one over there? We'll go Revere and then Partif. Yeah, I like that you threw it. Hey, uh, this, yeah, this is awesome. I absolutely love all this. So it just seems, just based on what you said there, a lot of this stuff we're kind of doing with survey funnels, we're seeing this translate with like segmentation, like you just mentioned, you know, asking the question before you get to that point of asking for a, a conversion or a sale or whatever. But my question is, do you generally start at the end of the funnel and work your way back when, when I guess, thinking about this? Or do you start from the top to the bottom when you're, I guess, wondering how you're actually taking someone through this process? Well, I think there are two steps. And you and your team, it's, it's crucial to do, with, do this with your team. Right. Right. Identify the principal feature of the message that you are about to deliver, right. the core element of it that you want people to most pay attention to. That's step one. Right. And then you go and you reverse engineer the process. You go to the moment before you're going to deliver it or at the outset of it, and you bring attention to that idea, that feature, that factor. Right? That's how, it, it's not all that complicated, but it is going to require that 
you and your team decide on an image or a, an adage, a slogan. So if you want change, right, uh, there are all kinds of sayings uh, that are, uh, when, when you're through changing, you're through, right? Um, inhale, or exhale the past, inhale the future. Uh, those kinds of things that are, uh, the, the, uh, uh, there's one uh, by this British uh, novelist, uh, uh, E.P. Hartley, that I love. It's, it's, the past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. Just putting people in a state of mind, if I stay here, if that's what you want is change, is what you've got is going to be, require change and produce benefit, beneficial change, getting them to take that step, those kinds of things. You might just have that quote at the top of the page. At the top of the page. It. Yeah. I'll give you an example that I, if you've ever, anybody in here have like the like Centurion card? The whole thing they're selling there is exclusivity, right? And so you get a little business card in the mail and you call the number, right? And it's like a 212, it's a New York number, it's not a 1-800. And when you call, they answer, they go, uh, uh, answer phone, and, and they're not like, you know, yes, American Express, the person that then goes, uh, yes, hello? Very kind of abrupt, and you're sort of taken off guard. You're like, uh, hi? <laughs> like, yes, um, this is American Express, who's calling? It's like, um, my name is Ryan Dice, I received a card in mail. Okay, yes, sir, yes, sir. Uh, in the lower right-hand corner, um, and talking against, get, get the cadence, right? How do you speak when you're talking to somebody. So what do they want me to feel right now? They want me to feel like I'm kind of on the outside. Yeah, in, in the lower hand corner, there should be a code on the card that you receive from us. Um, would you mind reading that code to me? Sure. Uh, F, G, R. Okay, uh, let me check. Oh, I see. Oh, hi there. Mr. Dice, is it? Yes. Oh. Thank you so much for calling. Um, let me ap just uh, apologize for my demeanor earlier, as I'm sure you can imagine, we receive quite a few phone calls to this number from people who frankly don't qualify and have not been invited to apply for the Centurion card. So we needed to make sure that you were who you said you were. Now that I've verified your code, uh, let me just say um, welcome and congratulations on being invited to apply for the American Express Centurion card. See how the pacing and everything? So it's everything, right? It was, yes, but how, how do you talk to somebody if you're annoyed that they're there? It's very quick and very punchy. And then, oh, oh, I see. And now, like, it was this, you know. And tell me, what, what do you know about the Centurion card? I mean, I was like, oh, my God. And, I, and I'm like, oh, this is good. And I'm, like, taking notes and crap like that. But it's the same thing, right? So what, I think that's, that's the key, right? What is that state that you need to be in? What's, what is the thing that we want to pay attention to? We want them to, to feel a sense of exclusivity. How do we make, feel someone, how do we make someone uh, feel that sense of exclusivity? You exclude them and then re-include them, right? We've all, we, we, we've all done that, you know, you, and I'm sure there's quotes on that. You could probably show a picture if you really wanted to make somebody feel left out. You know, we've all had the experience of being the last person picked you know, for a game and thing, like, so maybe it's that and it's... The Oxford, the Oxford Club letter that's been around forever for Magora shows a great big closed door on the front of it. And it, you know, basically it lets you know that you're on the outside and inside 
are all these wheeler dealers, cool people that know things that you don't. And that's the whole, that's the whole message of the door. But that's, that key is picking, being very deliberate, right? Yeah. What is the thing that we want them to notice? What is the thing we want them to focus on? What's that sense? And now once you've decided that, then you can reverse engineer all the mechanisms to do it, be it imagery, language, um, like I know, I know we're fundamentally out of time, but could you talk about just very, very briefly the, the importance of metaphor and the selection of metaphor in terms of getting people to do that? Like the, the example that you gave of a virus, right? Yeah. And, the, and the ways to, to see that. And then we'll... it, it has to do with a, a, a point that we were making uh, in, in Perry's uh, mini mastermind, which was terrific, by the way. Um, what do people counter argue? They counter-argue the conclusions you draw for them, or the assertions that you make, or the claims right, in your argument. They don't counter-argue music. They don't counter-argue imagery. They don't counter-argue stories. Stories are. They just are. Right? and they don't counter-argue metaphor. Something like, here's the study. Researchers show people uh, a news report of a rise in crime in their city, and they describe it either as a rampaging beast that must be controlled and stopped, right? Or they describe it as a rampaging virus that must be controlled and stopped. And now they ask them, how should we best deal with this crime, this, this crime wave? Those who are exposed to the metaphor of a beast, they recommend catch and cage solutions. More police, more prisons, harsher sentences. It's what you do to a beast. Those who were exposed to the virus metaphor recommend treatment, cleaning out the conditions that produce the virus, education, Right? Mentoring programs, these kinds of things now, all based on where that metaphor took them psychologically in terms of the mind state. They didn't counter-argue the idea. Now, what's interesting about this is that you could predict whether they were going to choose cage uh, solutions or treat solutions based on their political preference and their gender. Right? Republicans versus Democrats, men versus women. Those were trivial compared to the difference that occurred as a result of that one word, that metaphor that put them in a state of mind 
that was then congruent with a particular kind of choice, a particular kind of action. 15 minutes later, they would have probably went back to their core brief. 15 minutes later. That's why you need to get a choice. The temporary suspension of belief. You need to get a choice when they are in that state of mind. Don't fool around with that period of time. That's a mistake. I think Strike. I think a good place to leave it, a quote that, that, that you had in, in the book that I, that I wrote down. These are my notes. I'm not like texting, just so you guys know. These are my notes from the book that I'll, that I'll be sure to send them. But I love, I love this quote, and I think it's a good thing to remember in everything you do. It was Daniel Kahneman who, who said this. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Nothing in life is as important as you think it is while you are thinking about it. Nothing in life is as important as you think it is Yep. While you are thinking about it. In that moment you are thinking about it, that, that thing that perme permeates your thought, nothing that exists is as important as that. How do you make sure that what you want them to think is what they are in fact thinking, that, that you stay there in the, in the front of their mind? How do you make sure that the thought that you want them to have is there? If you could pull that off, then I think you've just uh, pulled off the, the main uh, primary tenet of, of pre-suasion. And then you get them to act. You must get them to act while they're in that state of mind. No. What Thank you. This thing is borderline evil, but <laughs> beautiful. It's Question for fine. you. When designing an infographic, should it be visual, sequential, and descriptive, or should it take on a influencing journey? A journey? An influencing journey as opposed to dis visually descriptive. I'm talking specific to infographics that is accompanied to copy. Yeah. Uh, I would say it depends on your market and it depends on your goal. But in general, the journey is the one that is going to be most successful, I think, in moving people effortlessly through your material in ways that link together, right, as a general rule. Just because that journey is something in which they, they don't counter-argue the narrative, they don't counter-argue the the journey, the, the sweep, right? They counter are the end of that. But if you've got them buying in all along, they're less likely to contend against the, uh, uh, the conclusion. Last question. And then when we're done here, uh, don't leave. We, gotta, we need to do uh, Wicked Smart. So you can clap, but don't, don't leave. Uh, real quick, Jason Fladlin here just shared this with me. There's 39 book recommendations from billionaire Charlie Munger that will make you smarter. And number 11 says, Influence, the psychology, psychology of persuasion, a frequent and persistent recommendation from Munger. I believe he's given away more copies of this book than any other. Which wow. is pretty badass. I don't even know if he knew that. Well, that's wonderful to hear. Whenever we have a... <laughs> I, a, I bet. When, whenever there's a Berkshire Hathaway meeting, uh, Charlie Munger tends to, uh, uh, to recommend uh, uh, our books. And we see this 
Berkshire Hathaway spike <laughs> in our uh, in in our Amazon ratings. Yeah. That's awesome. So real quick, since you have spent your whole career figuring out how to get people to say yes, how do you use persuasion and persuade persuasion to repel who you want to repel to say no to things? In the same way, I'm going to ask you as communicators to think about the moment before you send your message. I'm going to ask you as a recipient to think about the moment before you received it. What were those clouds doing there? What, what, what happened just before I got the message? Think about that and where you are being steered, it gives you a chance to decide whether you want to be steered in that direction. It would make sense. Uh, I would think it would make sense sort of like a restaurant, right? If you're, if you're a guy in cut-off shorts and flip-flops, when you walk into uh, Bob's Steakhouse, you're just going to feel uncomfortable. You know, I think maybe the, the environment that you're setting, like a lot of this to me, because I started in retail, so... Uh, Ecom came to me a certain way, online came to me a different way than most people because I think about it, it's been kind of easy for me. I was like, would you do that if somebody were walking into your store, right? And with, with retail, if you don't want a certain kind of customer, you just don't create an environment that attracts that kind of customer, you know, especially when you're going up market. You know, you've got you to up market that, you know, you're not going to go to Mastro's and, you know, you're not going to Mastro's down down here in or in Beverly Hills with a with cutoffs and flip flops. It's not going to happen. You could, I guess, maybe they let you in, but you probably feel uncomfortable the whole time you were there. No more than rolling skin would begin to boil inside a Holiday Inn, for instance. <laughs> like, if he were to walk into, he immediately breaks out into hives. I've seen it happen. Yeah. something yeah. amazing to watch. Yeah. But but it's. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get so you know, it's an environment that just is hostile to him, right? So maybe that that environment. I think creating an environment that's just not conducive to them. I think when digital marketing did a great job, ever uh, Richard and and Ryan have done a great job at creating an environment that's not necessarily conducive for the startup wannabe biz opper kind of person, right? Which was a big part of the audience in the beginning. Uh, it was just not really running them away, but just creating an environment that wasn't tenable for them. Yeah, no, and, th and that's really great. And I mean, I think I do that with like with Genius Network with the criteria of income and all that. But from a personal standpoint, you, you're now a, a very famous person in, in the business world. How do you personally say no? How do you use it in a courteous way without coming across? Because I think most people here, you know, I get hit up hundreds of times a week, interview this, would you do this, can we talk? And, and I always try to be as nice and as pleasant as I can, but yeah. I, my bandwidth is super limited uh, to just everyone. And so, like, how do you Yeah, so what I will do is, as I suggested, ask myself, well, what's the sick, what's, what were the principles that this person was just using on me? And what did they do immediately before they launched into that message, right? Does it take me in a direction I don't really want to go or is not consistent with the, the image I want to have of myself, which, is, which doesn't fit my self-image. That gives me the chance to say 
precisely that. I'm sorry, this isn't for me. This idea just doesn't fit with the way that I prefer to comport myself or uh, to do business. Uh, thank you very much for thinking of me, though. Perry's taking notes. This was awesome, yeah. so thanks. That's pretty great. Um, thank you so very, very much. I really appreciate it. Doctor, doctor, yeah. thank you. And uh, big, big, big round of applause. Very much appreciate it. Hey, Roland Frazier here. If you're looking for a way to grow your business exponentially, to get more customers and ultimately increase your wealth, there's no faster way to do it than to acquire other businesses that already have the customers, products, services, teams, and media that you want. If you want to double your sales, just acquire a company that has the same sales as yours. It sounds simple, but far too many people end up starting new businesses that fail and forget that they could skip all the hard stuff and just acquire one that already exists. There's a reason why private equity firms, family offices, big companies like Apple, Google, and some of the smartest entrepreneurs on the planet do not start new businesses from scratch. They acquire already successful businesses. And when they do it, they instantly increase their sales, their profits. If they want market share, they increase that. They can get new products and services to offer all instantly. Hey, look, 90% of new businesses fail. 90%. Why not acquire an already successful business and increase your chances of success by 900%? What most people don't realize is you can acquire highly profitable businesses with no money out of your own pocket in pretty much any country in the world, regardless of your credit and without having to go find a bunch of investors or needing any experience. Look, I've been acquiring businesses for over 30 years now, and I cover the whole process in my epic investing strategy training, and I want to give it to you 100% free. Just visit businesslunchpodcast.com forward slash epic to get your free access to my epic investing training right now while it's available.